Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Willow Park Church's online church. We're so happy that you are joining us, and it's our prayer, and we do continually pray that you'll have a real wonderful connection with Jesus this morning. We've got some great worship uh, with the team in just a second. In fact, it's a bit of a Madden team plus Jordan and Chris Baxter, and uh, we're really excited about that. And we're believing that you're really going to be encouraged uh, through the message in a little bit. So I'll be speaking in just a little bit for those who are tuning in at the South. And uh, Pastor Jordan will be preaching for those tuning in at uh, Highway 33. So thank you again for joining us. And I'm now going to hand over to the worship team. Uh, But let's pray. Let's focus our attention upon the Lord. And then I will hand over. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can gather like this in homes uh, around the city and around the world. And Lord, and we can enjoy your presence. And so Father, I pray now as, uh, as we go into a time of worship, that Lord, that you'll be really close, that Lord, that we'll sense you, that we'll be enjoying your presence. And Lord, I thank you that your word says that you inhabit the praises of your people. And so God, we hand this uh, over to you with expectant hearts, And Lord, we pray, Jesus, that you will be glorified as we sing and as we pray and as we enjoy this worship. And we ask these things now in your name. Amen. Amen. So we'll hand over now to the worship team. Welcome to Willow Park Church. We're so excited to be worshiping together wherever you're at. We want to sing a few songs before we hear the message. And let's just ready our hearts and and be ready to welcome in God's presence to where we're at. Your kingdom, bro. 
save us. You're steady and you love us. We thank you that we can sing and worship and be in your presence. Amen. What a beautiful time of worship and we're so grateful for the band and leading us in that. And and, uh, I just want to encourage you now to uh, go and find some bread and some juice, whatever your routine would be in uh, as we step into some communion and uh, thinking about all that that means. One of the things that I've been studying recently is uh, actually a passage of scripture that I'll be sharing in just a minute for those people who are watching from the south is where Jesus said and invited us that we abide in him, remain in me in John 15. And it's a really fascinating word because it literally means come make your home with me. Come and remain and spend time with me. So when Jesus calls us to be his disciples, this literally calling us to be his apprentices. He's saying, come be with me. Come be like me. Come follow me. Come do what I do. And so communion, this or the Lord's Supper, is an opportunity for us to remember what it means for us to abide in Jesus. What does it mean for us to be connected to him, to be apprenticed by him? And Paul, later on in 1 Corinthians, he says, whenever you gather together and do this, 
that we're to do it in memory of Jesus. And, and he takes us through some beautiful scriptures. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so Jesus is saying, abide in me. And Paul is reminding us of how that is possible. The way that we abide with Jesus, remain in Jesus, actually make our life uh, like a home in Jesus is because of what Jesus did on the cross. We can't do it outside of the free gift of salvation that Jesus made possible for all those who believe. And so as we quieten ourselves now and I pray over the bread and the juice, I just want to encourage you to remember, to think, to consider. Are you abiding in Jesus? Have you got that relationship with him? And is it a continual abiding? So it's not just a decision that we made a few years ago or a few months or a few weeks ago, but it's a continual remaining in him. And so when we take communion, it's actually an opportunity for us to confess, to maybe ask for forgiveness, to take our minds off the many distractions that this world is offering right now and to place it upon Jesus and to consider the beautiful promise that he says, come remain in me as we remember this incredible sacrifice. So I'm inviting you now to, to do that, to take the bread or whatever it might be that you're using to remember and do communion and to take the juice. And let's remember together through prayer this incredible gift of life, of abiding in Jesus. So let's pray as we take the bread. Dear Jesus, I'm so grateful that you have given us the invite to come, to remain in you, to abide in you. And so now, Lord, as we take this bread, that, Lord, I pray that all that it represents, that your body broken for us, that, Lord, that you took the punishment that I truly deserve for the sins that I have committed. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And, Lord, I pray that even as I eat this, that, God, I would just remember afresh the beautiful gift that is tied up in the cross. And forgive me, Lord, for the distractions. Forgive me, Lord, for the times that I don't remain in you and my thoughts are not in alignment with you. But thank you, Jesus, that you are a loving, merciful, patient, and forgiving God. So take now together and take the bread in remembrance of him. Lord Jesus, thank you also for the blood and all that it represents, shed for many. And Lord, I thank you that your promises for all those who believe that their sins be forgiven, that eternity is sure. And so Lord, now I pray as we take this cup, that we would have a fresh memory, a fresh remembrance of what it meant for you to die on that cross, that horrible death to take the punishment that I deserve. Thank you, Jesus. Let's take the cup now and drink it together as a sign of our unity in him.
So Lord, now we pray, Father, for the message that we are about to hear and I'm about to give. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that it will be filled with your power, that Lord, you would encourage us, you would challenge us, that Lord, that you would do that which you have promised to do, which is take the words and Lord, empower us that it never returns void. And Father, I pray that by your spirit, that you would draw men, women, and children to yourself, even as they hear this message now. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. We love you. Amen. God bless you and enjoy the message. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Whether you're joining us from church online or one of our dwell gatherings, welcome and here's your family news. Join us tomorrow night at 7 p.m. for Willow One Prayer. We will be meeting in person at Highway 33 and online. Learn more and register to attend in person at willowparkchurch.com slash willowoneprayer. Did you hear? Our midweek youth groups are starting up again this week. GLOW is for grades 9 to 12 and is happening this Wednesday from 7 to 9 p.m. Juice for grades 6 to 8 is happening this Thursday night from 6.30 to 8 p.m. This year, youth will need to pre-register before they attend each week. Check out the youth website at cahoots.ca for more info. We are once again raising funds for Child of Mine, which supports two children's homes in northern India. A group of runners and walkers are doing a virtual event October 17th. And this year, the funds raised will go towards post-secondary education for graduates of the homes. Learn more at childofmind.ca slash events. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Good, yeah, and good morning. Good morning. Um, how y'all doing? Awesome. How are you? Oh, good, good, good. Good to hear you. Yeah, my name is Jordan Pilgrim. I am, uh, I am preaching this morning. Phil was uh, supposed to be uh, preaching in Germany this morning. However, something's come up in the last six months that doesn't allow for international travel. Um, but we were, I was booked in a long time ago, and uh, I think Phil knew that I should be preaching this morning because they're talking about humility. And he thought, who else is better to speak about humility uh, than not Phil? No, just joking. No, just, uh, no. So we are continuing our hidden series this morning. Um, just... Uh, Ways to give online, in person, and automated. I know people have been so fantastic. And I just want to 
continue to remind um, just different ways, if you were thinking about that, how you can get into that. So welcome, um, people at home, people in the gym. I miss you, my people. I'm usually in the gym, and, uh, but I'm glad to be here. Thank you for, so much for having me. So this week it is, we're going to look at Romans 12, the power of humility. The idea of what does humility bring to the table in my relationship with Christ? What does humility bring to the table when I am hidden in Christ? The heart of our community is hidden. The heart of our community is to be hidden with Jesus. And now you talk to Phil, and he will say, the heartbeat of our community is hearing from God and having a relationship with God, understanding what God is saying to us. And how better can we be in that place than being hidden with him and in a humble place to understand and to receive those words from him. So um, I'm not going to get you turned there, but Jeremiah 17, verse 7 to 8, talks about roots running deep in him. When our current understanding dries up, when, when we are planted by a river, our roots go deeper so we can get more of that water. And when that river dries up, we can continue to bear fruit. For many of us, this past six months has been a really dry time. And we are in a desert time in our faith for many of us. And if we don't plug in deep to his roots, we're never going to see fruit at this point. You know, because we can carry on our faith very easily Sunday to Sunday prior to this moment. And, and, and in a way, we can have a real genuine relationship with God. If we come in every Sunday and you see the same people and you hear the word and you apply it to your life, it's great. But if we're not delving in deep into who he is and humbly coming before Jesus and saying, look, I am yours, I do this for you, not for me, then we're going to start to drive. So humility is this way of being hidden in Christ to put it in. So we've talked about pursuing God, spending time with him, spending time with him. We've talked about this idea that we can run on empty. Phil talked about it last week, and today we're talking about this realization of a great need that we have in him. Anybody ever heard of illusory superiority? I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but I'm pretty sure I am. Illusory superiority. Is this idea that psychologists have understood and, and developed this understanding that most of us think about ourselves a lot of the time? This is not going to be groundbreaking for us here. It really is quite true. We do think about ourselves quite a bit. And how am I reflected in this moment? How am I reflected in this moment? Everything that's happening, I filter it through me. I filter it through Jordan. I filter it through how am I acting in this situation? How am I responding in this situation? How about me here? The University of Nebraska Lincoln, sorry, the University, I think it's called Nebraska Lincoln University. If you went there, I'm sorry for saying your university wrong, but anyways. 68% rated themselves in the top 25% for their teaching ability. Now, I have no illusory superiority in my math. I don't think that I am top dog in math, but I do understand that 68% can't be in the top 25% of anything. But 68% of them thought they were top 25% of their teaching ability. 90% of them, 94% of them, sorry, rated themselves above average. 94% rated themselves above average. Hands up, <laughs> here. Don't worry, I won't ask if you're, no one's a professor. We might have a few professors here, professors here. Driving abilities. In your prime, in your best driving times, your driving abilities, would you rate yourself in the top half of drivers in the world? Hands up, hands raised. Come on. 
Yes, we're going to get above 50%. We really, there you go, amen. We, I, you got to think of yourself like a good driver, people. You can't go out there thinking you're the worst driver on the road or you're going to be the worst driver on the road. In Sweden, they did this, this test. A driving students in the USA and Sweden both rated themselves. In Sweden, 70% rated themselves as better than others. 70% of drivers thought they were better than others. Uh, U.S., I really feel bad for America right now because we pick on them quite a bit. I, they're a little bit of a, I, I apologize to them. But 90% of Americans rate themselves as better drivers than everyone else on the road. That's a, that is this idea of illusory superiority. You are better than average. And we, this is our default. We think of ourselves as our looks, we think of ourselves as our abilities, we think of ourselves anything that we think about ourselves, if we have any kind of expertise in that area, we think about ourselves better than the rest. Basically, illusory superiority is the study of thinking of ourselves more better than we ought. C.S. Lewis says this, I messed it up this morning, but he says this, humility is not thinking about less about yourself. All right, see, I messed it up again. Try again. Here we go. Try again. Google it quickly. Yeah. You, you, see, yeah. Humility is not thinking less about, so about yourself, less. No, yeah. Less about yourself is about thinking about yourself less. There you go. Thinking about yourself less, not always making it about you. So we have this idea here, and, and, and um, what we get is we get center set on ourselves. See, somebody might be thinking here, actually, I never think I'm the best at anything. And, and what happens in this, in this grand sweeping statement of thinking about ourselves better than the rest is that we actually don't leave room. Sometimes we do think about ourselves as worse than other people. And there's, a, there's, genuine, um, there's genuine depression. There's genuine people that think have really low self-esteems. And, and that is real. But for the vast majority, psychologists think that we do think about ourselves, and we think about ourselves highly, or we think about ourselves lowly. What is the common denominator on both of those thoughts? You're thinking about yourself. I'm thinking about myself. I think to myself, I'm a really good preacher. I think to myself, man, I'm a really bad preacher. I am thinking about me, Jordan. That's the problem. I think to myself, I'm really good at this. I think to myself, man, I'm really bad at this. I'm just thinking about me. And what we do as a society is we become center set on ourselves. We become center set on who we are and what we bring to the table and our values and our goods and our gifts and what we can do to make this world better based on me. But what we need to do is we need to change that around and we need to become center set on Jesus. Everything that we do needs to be set on Christ. When you are in line and someone's not wearing a mask or when you are in line, you are wearing a mask and you know, or someone isn't, or whatever to do with masks. And how you respond to that person at that moment, how can you make that response in that moment about Christ, not about us? How can you make a decision or an argument they're having at work or an argument at home or some kind of thing, how can we reverse that instead of thinking about me, feeling sorry, about, feeling sorry for me, thinking about Jesus? thinking about how everything affects him. If we want to be hidden in Christ, we need to stop and we need to focus on Christ. You know, I heard it said one time from, a, from someone that was in recovery. And at, I think it was at Teen Challenge, they said that 
Um, when they're going through their recovery, the, the, the idea was always, you know, we think about pray for yourself, pray that I'll get out of this, pray that I'll get out of that. But what they say to them is pray for three other people, pray for the needs around you, pray for, pray for other people. And as you take your mind off yourself and you put it on the needs of other people, as you take your mind off yourself and put it on the needs of Christ and, and the and desires of Christ, you start to see a whole functioning and a whole switching of your mind to centering on Christ, not centering on yourself, not centering on even your marriage, because what you're doing is centering on Christ. And as you center on Christ, he loves us enough to make your thoughts and to help you to move and focus on loving and serving others. If we want to be humble in our lives, we need to center on Christ because then he will take care of the rest for us. This idea of centering our thinking on something else, someone else, is not normal in our society. It's just not normal. If you thought of yourself as the bottom 10% driver genuinely, that wouldn't go very well. If you went in for an interview and say, how good do you think you are at being a professor at this school? You'd say, I'm probably bottom 15. (laughs) Perfect. You're hired. We need some people like you around here. Not take the glory. But no, it's, it's different, right? So... Francis of Assisi says, holy humility confounds pride and all the men of this, of this world and all things that are in this world. Submitting our lives daily to Christ confounds the thinking. Confounds thinking, confounds what people realize, what people think conventional wisdom is. And conventional wisdom is thinking about myself and making sure I take care of number one. And that's me, that's Jordan Pilgrim. Don't worry, I love myself enough. I need to take my eyes off of me and put them back on Christ. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you want to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, I'm going to read through a, a bit more of this verse. So we're going to kind of have a, have a kind of an overarching understanding a little bit of this verse. Romans chapter 12, one, uh, 3 to 8. But we're going to camp mainly in, chapter, in verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance to the faith God has distributed to each of you. First of all, that each of you, we'll get back to more of it, each of you, each and every one of us are in this together. We, as an Anabaptist church, we as a, as a, as a, as a God-loving, Bible-reading church, we understand of the priesthood of all believers. We are all here together. We we are God's people, and as we function together as a, as a unit, we work together. It's not just one, it's just not, not just the other, it's all of us together all the time. So each of us, God has driven each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, all these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, through many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. Then it goes in and talks about the different gifts and the different things that we bring to teach and to encourage and to to give generously and show mercy and do it cheerfully. We work together. That's the best way is, is thinking about not how I can promote myself, not how I can stand up here and say, how can I further my cause? But how can we as a, as, a, as a body function better? How can this message be something that can help us function better as a people? 
And how can you serving coming in? How can all the volunteers? And how can people praying for people? How can people going out and telling people about Jesus? How can people working at uh, a pregnancy center? How can people going into their jobs? How can moms and dads staying at home with their kids? How can that make this world better by serving Christ and putting him at the center of everything we do? He'll take care of the rest. He'll take care of how it actually works. He'll take care of what the body looks like. We just do our part. So, let's stay on this. For it is the grace given to me. Paul really looks at grace. And he, more than most of us, I dare say, understands grace. He, more than most of us, understands what this grace means. Actually, at the beginning, and you see it many times. At the beginning of chapter 12, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. I feel like it's almost that every day we can wake up and in view of God's mercy, the grace that he's given to me, I can live this day. As I come into his presence, as I come into a a hidden place with him in view of God's mercy and his grace, I can be here. Paul's saying, look, I have the Holy Spirit in me. The Holy Spirit is dwelt in me because he wants to be here. It's about him, that's not about me. Paul understands this beautiful relationship that he has because of who Jesus is. Paul was a religious terrorist. He was. He was the baddest of the bad. And because of that, he understands this grace that has been given to him. He's like, look, I know this is who I was, but God... I just want to be with you. And then God says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you for whatever I deem fit. And he's going to do it so beautifully. And Paul is used by God because he allows him. He says, look, it's all about you, not about me. And then Paul also understands the redeeming quality of Jesus, the redeeming quality of God. Paul knew so much prior to he was an educated man. He understood. And it's not like God came in and said, I'm going to take you and move you completely to something else. That's who Paul was. He wanted to know things. He wanted to understand things. He, he was a Pharisee. He understood the Bible. He understood the Old Testament. He understood the Torah. He understood the law. And God used that. So wherever you're at in life, whenever you've made a decision for Christ, even this right now, we talk about salvation every day, as you make a decision today, God will use the things that you've given him in the past and he will use it to a way forward. He uses you as people. He uses me as a person, as your personality, as who, what you bring to the table. He made you that way. That grace is him using you. It's such a beautiful idea that whatever, without even knowing it, how you have been walking through life, your natural tendencies, God will use that. You know, Romans 8, 20, he works all things for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. However you are, whatever you look like, whatever you're doing, he wants to use that. He doesn't want to change your personality. He made you. He made you beautiful. And Paul understands that grace. So, that grace. To think Do not think of yourselves more high than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. If we want to literally read that, we read it like this. When you think, don't think this way, but when you think, think this way. Amen? Amen. When you think, don't think this way. When you think, think this way. When you think, don't think this way more highly than you ought, but when you think, think 
this way with sober judgment about who you are. So he's using these words, forneo, forneo, to think. And then he has this prefix, hyperforneo, is to think, don't think hyperforneo, thinking highly or to be high-minded or to have pride. As you think highly of who you are, you're taking your eyes off the center set Christ and you're putting your eyes on the center set me, Jordan. Look how good I am. But no, don't think of yourself there. Think of yourself with sophoneo, modesty, moderate thinking, cautious thinking. Just relax when it comes to you. Realize this is a gift. Your life is a gift. Your relationships are gifts. Being here in this building is a gift right now, yes, amen, but it may not be here for long. We need to be hidden in Christ. Who knows how it's going to turn? We need to realize every day, every moment is a gift from God. And don't think of ourselves. I need to not think of myself more highly or more lowly because I'm putting it on me. You should see me after I do what I'm doing right now and I go home. I'm like, oh, that one person fell asleep. Oh, that one, you know, that. I just think about myself. And then God's like, stop it. Think about me. Move with me. Walk with me. Talk to me. Love me. Take, talk about Jesus. And he'll take care of the rest. So he says it like this. Don't think of yourself more high than you are, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Sometimes we think the Bible just has words in there for no reason. But it doesn't. There's reasons for it. Because when you think of yourself with sober judgment, what's the opposite of sober judgment? It's, it's, it's drunken judgment. And when you're drunk, you're thinking, hey, life's good, I'm good, life's good. Or, oh, I'm sad, life's sad, I'm sad. You think of yourself in this heightened, different sense when you have this idea of drunkenness about life. This heightened awareness of just this different way that is just not modest. But as you come together with sober judgment, stopping and, and just realizing, say, hey, let's have some real quality thoughts on me, and my thoughts on me are thoughts on Jesus. That's what we have to think, because he'll take care of us. So it's a, it's a way of thinking about this. So we have this sobriety idea, and we kind of take it from Alcoholics Anonymous. And this is the most difficult part, is admitting that you have a problem. I'm truly trying hard not to use the word you today, but I'm, you know, admitting you have a problem, and I'm going to admit that I have a problem. I think about me. When I get home from work and it's been a long, busy day, hard day, I come home and I don't automatically think about my wife and kids and their needs. I think about me. I want to lay down. I want to watch TV. I want to do whatever I want to do. And I think about Jordan. So I think that I might just be an egoholic, and I might just get drunk on the idea of who I am. So I need to stop, and I need to admit that to you guys today, all across the internet. Hello, internet. Hello, Jim. If there's a Jim out there on the internet, and the people in the gym over there. I'm going to say today, hi, my name is Jordan, and I am an egoholic. Oh, that felt good. Got that off my chest. For the second time today. I thought about myself between services too, so that was bad. I needed to get back into thinking about Jesus again. Hi, my name is Jordan, and I am an egoholic. <sighs> all right. You guys all saw me confess. I need you guys to join me in that. And we're going to say, hi, my name is, and you're going to fill in the blank with your name if you feel comfortable doing that. 
I'm just admitting that we think about ourselves a lot. So let's do that together. Fill in the blank with your first name on the count of three. One, two, three. Hi, my name is Jordan, and I am an egoholic. Ah, didn't that feel good? We're done. Amen. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. But this is good that we need to stop and we need to admit that, that we do make this about us. And coming into God's presence isn't about us, it's about Him. The Dunning-Kruger effect. More psychology. I know very little about psychology, and this will be kind of ironic in a second when you hear about this. There's this guy in America. Again, America. Bless him. In the mid-90s, and he decided that he's going to break into a couple banks. So he went to the first bank, and he broke into the bank, and he kind of looked at the camera and smiled not even being like anything, just like, hey, this is me, hello. Am I looking at that camera? Anyways, smiled and went in and robbed the bank, went to a second bank, did the same thing, looked at the camera, and then went home. To his surprise, police officers came in a few hours later and arrested him for robbing banks. And he's like, how did you know? And I said, well, you looked in the camera. He says, you couldn't have seen me. They're like, how? What do you mean? He says, he says, I learned something. When you take lemon juice and you put it on a piece of paper, you can't see the lemon juice until you put an external heat source on it. And then you can see it. It's like, it's like hidden messaging. So I figured if I covered my face with lemon juice and there was no external heat source, the cameras couldn't pick up my face. Seriously. I saw it on the internet. That also might be ironic a little bit. But seriously, he actually took a Polaroid picture, a selfie of himself back when, before selfies, and, he took a picture, and it, the flash hit him so hard that he couldn't see his face in there, so he figured it must be true. So he went in there. He had this Dunning-Kruger effect. He had very little knowledge, but once you get a little bit of knowledge, your confidence skyrockets. We live in a pandemic. Have you guys understood this? We live in a time with masks. If you've read one article about masks, good or bad, you are the smartest person on masks in the face of this earth. Don't even argue with me. I know science. You go on your Facebook groups, you go on to Twitter, you go on to and telling everybody the world. And then you hear a different article the next day. Oh, I'm changing my mind. The best place for you and I to be is in absolute ignorance. Right here, right? In this absolute, there's a little space between there. If you know nothing about a situation, about a conversation, that is the best place for us to be. If I walked into a group with four neuroscientists and they want to talk about neuroscience, I would have nothing to add to the conversation. And that's the best place for me to be. Just sitting there, just listening. There's a danger. If I read an article on neuroscience about two hours before I met with those four neuroscientists, you can bet your bottom dollar that I would be in there talking about everything I learned today. I'm completely ignorant, completely confident. This is actually called, uh, they actually call this the, the peak of Mount Stupid, is what they actually call it. The, 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 so if you want to be on the peak of Mount Stupid, this is where a lot of us sit. A lot of us. i got to be honest with you. Hi, my name is Jordan Pilgrim. I'm an egoholic. And, uh, and also, I am sitting here with this Dunning-Krug effect and the, uh, the other one I learned about. I am at peak confidence right now with these two psychological things, and I know very, very little about them. I know enough to tell you about them. That's about it. But this is what happens is we come into God's presence. I gotta be, we know very little about the eternal God. We know so little about who God is, but when we walk into 
God's presence. Sometimes our temptation is to talk. Sometimes our temptation is to tell Jesus everything he needs to know. The best thing is to do is to come and to sit and to be in his presence. You come and you sit and you look at him and just say, Jesus, teach me. As much as we know, this skyrocket, then we come into this wisdom space, and then eventually we start to learn more. But we don't know everything. And the best thing to remain hidden in him is to come in and to stop and just to be in his presence. Say, God, you are the creator of the world. I am 100% on the ignorance scale. And I'm okay with that. The most dangerous place to be is at that peak of Mount Stupid when you're talking to God. I got it figured out, God, don't worry. We get there pretty quick. Mary and Martha in Luke 10. Martha knows something. She knows who Jesus is. She knows she wants to impress. She knows that he is someone that is important. And her little knowledge takes her quickly to the peak of Mount Stupid. And Mary knows nothing. She just wants to sit and be in his presence. Martha, love her. She's not stupid at all. But she just, that's us sometimes. We think we know what God wants. Jesus said, no, just sit at my feet. Be in my presence. Learn from me. Be with me. Let's not be that Martha where we're trying to, we think we know what we're doing. We're too busy to understand that we can just be in God's presence. We can just be hidden with him. We can be plugged in. We can be deeply rooted in him. So Paul wants us to learn about the gift, the gift of grace about humility. I have a few things to talk about humility just as we go into them. Humility is being teachable. Remember that stat about 90% of us are the best drivers in the world? That's all of us here? Not all of us. Have you ever had a backseat driver? So the driver knows nothing. <laughs> you guys are laughing over there. I love, a, I love a couple of laughing people when you hit a nerve. I just had a, my wife and I just drove to Tim Hortons and I'm like, ah, get another lane. She was driving. And so the person driving knows 90% better than everybody else. I'm driving. I know what I'm doing. I'm in control. And the person in the back also raised their hand earlier saying, I'm driving. I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. And you have two of these controlling forces coming together and kaboom, you get in a car crash because the backseat driver. And of course, the driver blames the backseat driver. The backseat driver blames the driver. And what are we doing? Is we have this unteachable spirit. If you have this illusory superiority where you think you know better, you will not be teachable. If I think I know better than 90% of you, it's not going to be a very fun conversation. But if I come in thinking, hey, you guys can teach me, then I can learn. We've been doing church one way for a very, very long time. Unless you were around for the 1920s pandemic, we've kind of been doing it the same way for the last 100 years. And now we need to learn. We need to be humble. We need to submit and say, look, this is not going to look the same as it has. But we need to come humbly and say, I'm going to be teachable. I'm going to listen to you, God. Tell me what you want me to do next. Tell me the next step you want me to take as I center my life around you, Jesus. Humility is not being quarrelsome. The peak amount ignorance, the peak amount stupid is quarrelsome. 
I don't follow Castanet on Facebook because I look at a comment section and it is this the disaster of a place to be. It like hurts my heart. I'm like, oh, I can't be here. But also you want to be there and you want to put your two cents in thing because I'm going to end this conversation. But don't be quarrelsome. See, we want to hear from God here. We talk about that. We talk about Phil and the staff's heart and everybody's heart here is to hear from God. And this is a good thing. But I talk to Phil about that. I think to myself, Phil, I need to hear from God. But I kind of come with my biases. That's what I said earlier. Is that illusory superiority thinks that we don't have bias. We understand that the rest of the world is affected by bias. But I have this unbelievable ability to reflect all bias. You guys are all biased, I'm sorry, but I'm not. Amen. Let's go on that. No, of course, we all have bias. So I say to Phil, I want to hear from God. And me and him, we talk, we agree. So let's just go to the Bible first. Let's just stop and let's read. And let's read through the Lord's Prayer. Let's read through Psalm 23. Let's read through the Psalms. Let's read and pray through the Bible. And just stop and let the Bible speak to us first. Hear what God has to say through the Bible. And cleanse our hearts and just come in and say, God, I leave it up to you. And now, what do you want to say to me? Because if I just walk in and say, God, I want to hear from you, he's going to agree with me nine times out of ten. I need to stop. I need to ask forgiveness. I need to lay my heart out to him and say, God, what do you want? Help me with my bias because I know I have bias. Help me with the way I interpret things because you interpret things way better than me. I just, I need to have a clean slate when I hear from you, God. That's going to help us not be quarrelsome. A few ways to not be quarrelsome is, is to hold your opinion lightly and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you with discernment. Hold your opinion lightly. I don't do good at that. I need to do good at that. Hold your opinion lightly. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Number two is consider that you may have been mistaken. No, let's move on. No, yes. Consider that you may have been mistaken. That's a very difficult thing for, let's say, a preacher who just talked for an hour and then someone comes up to you and is like, hey, you got that wrong. Oh, that's a big punch in the gut. But I have to consider that I may be mistaken. Especially when I start talking about psychology. I never took a psychology degree, but here we go. We're here, aren't we? So offer one another a latitude, a degree of latitude and grace. And why do we offer people a degree of latitude and grace? Because we don't want to lose sight of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is, again, Jesus. We have all these arguments. We have all these... Phil was talking to me this week about all the different thousands and thousands of, of denominations in North America. And they all, we all think we got it right. But the bigger picture is Jesus. The bigger picture is Christ crucified. The bigger picture is us in a relationship with him and him having grace and mercy on us. That's the bigger picture. Finally, humility is putting others and Christ's interests first. In those relationships, as you walk into the room after a long day, or you come into a friendship, or you come into a relationship, placing other people at the center of the conversation, not you, will go a long way. And as you view those people in the eyes of Christ, you are putting Christ at the center of that conversation, and it is so beautiful, and that will be serving, and that will be loving, and that will be caring, and it will be so much better 
than thinking about how it affects me. So humility is a gift. Paul talks about it. He says this is a gift. He wants us to understand humility is something that we, uh, is a gift. That, sorry, <laughs> we exist, sorry. It's, it's a gift that we exist. The sun is the radiance of God, God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. All things are sustained by him. We exist because of him. Wrong way, wrong way. Colossians 1, 15 to 17. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. When we come into his presence, just we can even just pray that verse once a week. In you, all things are held together. In you, this moment is here because of you. A gift of being forgiven. There's a verse with it. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We are forgiven because of him. Forgiveness is interesting. Forgiveness is actually an honor. It's an honor to be forgiven. It's an honor to be able to forgive. Because forgiveness is between two people. Not me and an inanimate object. This cup. If I extend forgiveness to this cup for spilling over, whoops, that cup could not care less. It doesn't matter. That cup has no relationship to me. I'm going to throw it out later, hopefully recycling. That would be good of me. And I got to clean that mess up earlier, later on too. But we need, to, we need to understand that when we forgive someone, when we forgive something, it's not an inanimate object. We are forgiving something that is created. I say to Curtis, Curtis, I forgive you. Oh, Curtis needs my forgiveness. He doesn't need my forgiveness. That's why I'm using it. But Curtis, I forgive you. If I don't extend Curtis that honor and that, and that forgiveness, I am treating him like an inanimate object. Christ has forgiven us because we are not inanimate objects. We are created by him, loved by him, created in his image. We are image bearers of him. He forgives us because he cares about us. The fact that Jesus comes and forgives breathes esteem into us. It breathes esteem into you. It breathes esteem into me having a healthy understanding of who I am because I am in Christ. I'm no longer in me. I am in Christ. And that esteem of forgiveness is from Jesus. And then finally, we are renewed. That forgiveness renews us. It's a beautiful renewing. Taking what's old, making it new. You know, last couple days, we've been watching, re-watching Lord of the Rings in my family. Oh, what's this? So that's a good verse. Read that. Don't be, yeah, have it. We've been watching Lord of the Rings as my family. And uh, if you haven't watched it a long time, I thought I had it all in my head. I don't. It's, there's a lot that I have missed because it's been, you know, 15 years since I watched it last but we're watching it, and, the, and the, as if you remember the movie, there's about 17 final scenes at the end of the movie. But the first final scene, after they throw the ring into, is it Mordor? I, you know, yeah, throw the ring into the volcano-y thing, actually. 
Actually, Gollum chases it in there. He don't really want to get rid of it. But they get rid of it, and then the eagles take them back, and they're back at that one place in that bed. I'm not very good with my science fiction understanding, but you wake up, and Frodo opens his eyes. And he starts to see everybody. Mary and Pip jump on the bed. They're so excited. We did it. We've, we've accomplished what we set out to do. And then it pans back to Gandalf. And then from Gandalf, it, Gimli walks in, and Legolas is there. Aragon, the whole gang. And you have a moment that you think it's done. But you forget one person. And Sam walks in the back and just gives a smile. The mission couldn't have been accomplished without Sam. Eli, my son, he says, who's the strongest in this movie? I said, Sam. Sam is the one that carried the load, the burden, because of his humility. He said, it's not about me. This story is not about me. It's about something bigger. And me being in God's presence isn't about me. It's about something bigger, and it's Jesus. And so Sam comes in, and he kind of smiles, and I cry, because I cry at those moments in movies. And it's so beautiful, because he knows that it was just about him serving the, the greater cause, not about him. It's about it was about the ring, and it's about Jesus. So I kind of see this as that last moment. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said to them, anyone who wants to be the first must be the very last and the servant of all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you that we can be in your presence. Help us to be center set on you, not ourselves. Whether we think highly or we think lowly, let's just turn our thoughts to you and know what you think about us. Understanding you and your presence and being with you is so good. Let's be like Mary and just sit at your feet and learn from you. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, God bless you. God bless you at home and in the gym. Have a great week.